Good afternoon. I'm Brett McGarry. He is Greg Mackling. Good afternoon, Brett. Hi, Greg. How's it going, buddy? All right, sir. Good. Brought my umbrella while I walked to work because I was because Mike Conkin told me yesterday it was going to rain today, and it did end up raining, but not until after I got to work. So, did you want it to rain? Like, are, are you angry that you didn't have to use your umbrella? Oddly enough, kind of. Yeah, that is, I was that's prepared. kind of a strange approach to it. it is, but isn't it? I, I I was prepared for the adventure. Hmm. I wanted to, because the last time I walked home in the rain with an umbrella, it was I didn't realize how small this umbrella was. It's meant to to be used when you're standing at a bus stop or something where you can just kind of hold it above your head. It's just this tiny little thing. But it did me no good when I was walking home because I had to hold it in a weird way to cover and make sure my bag didn't get soaking wet. So well, I brought super- my <laughs> I brought my golf umbrella today, which is like the size of a condor's wingspan. Well. F- Fortunately, you didn't need it because if it was any amount of wind, you might have been carried away. Ooh, like Mary Poppins. I was going to ask what superhero you had on your alternate umbrella, the smaller umbrella. Oh, it's just a little black umbrella. And did yeah. you wear your duck boots? No, I just wore my runners. Yeah? Okay. Yeah. Well, you weren't that prepared then. I would suggest that you probably lucked out. Well, it's not like I was expecting a... a- Torrential rain, like a, a storm, just, you know, a, a bit of a rain, that's all. I brought my umbrella, and I'm angry because I couldn't use it. <laughs> We're going to have to dissect that one with Carolyn Clausen tomorrow <laughs> afternoon. <laughs> Not so much angry that I didn't use it. I think I'm angry that I even brought it in the first place because I didn't need it. You might need it on the way home. We'll see. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of like when my uh, grandmother brought my bu- uh, my brother a fire extinguisher for his birthday mm-hmm. and she asked my other brother so do you think he'll use that well ho- hopefully not man hopefully not nice to have but you never want to have to use it those expire too right don't yeah you? they expire eventually i don't know what the date is you have to get them inspected anyway we digress we've got lots of things to talk about this afternoon poutine poutine and more poutine after two o'clock we're going to taste some new flavors of poutine i'm a big lover of Boston Pizza's pierogi pizza. So if they're going to find a way to put pierogies on French fries, <laughs> count me in. Skip the Dishes supposed to be bringing us hot poutine. From smoked poutinery. In the next 45 minutes. So we'll talk about that. And is there a, such a thing other than poutine, poutine aside, as Canadian food? Uh, oh, like like a t- an actual Canadian dish. Yeah. That's an interesting question. I don't know, because there isn't pretty much everything we eat sort of brought in from somewhere else. I believe it is. Would uh, I would imagine there is something that's entirely Canadian at the Festival du Voyage. Like, I mean, maple syrup is not a, ma- a meal on its own, <laughs> right? Some it's tough to make might, a meal out of maple syrup. Well, some people might like to drink it. What else it? are we going to talk about later on? Big night at the ballpark tonight. Going to, speaking of pierogies, celebrate Ukrainian culture at the Gold Eyes game tonight. We'll find out a little bit more about that. But to start things off, a story that caught my attention in the Winnipeg Free Press today. You may have heard about... The fact that there are being some changes made, I don't want to make them, I don't I want to call, I don't want to call them cuts yet, even though that's what they're called in the headline in the free press. It says English class cuts hurt newcomers. And uh, Rosanna Pancato joins us now, Prairie Sky Immigration. And uh, maybe first of all, Rosanna, you can tell us uh, what these English programs are. English as an additional language classes. Are these things that are mandatory when you come to Canada? How does it work? Well, no, it's secondary, right? So the, that's uh, presuming you already have a solid base on the first language skill. We are an official bilingual 
country. So if you're fluent in French, which it seems to be that gentleman in the article you're referring to, he's from Mali, he's fluent in French, so he has the official language. And then picking up as an English as a secondary language is an optional. I think in the article he was talking about how it will help him find more gainful employment. But if I lived in Quebec, you know, my French is not that great. How employable will I be? So it's a matter of uh, whether you want to do it or mandatory. And you have to be careful when you're using the word newcomers because if he got landed on his French, which most of these applicants get, you know, high-ranking French language skills and they get through their uh, economic stream, English is just secondary. It's not mandatory. So the question is, does it become the government problem or the employer Who's going to benefit the most? The employer? The government? Who should be paying for it? Well, who does benefit most? We're hearing that immigration is fueling the Manitoba economy. That is why we're seeing a population increase, which is fueling uh, massive swings and uprise in housing costs and housing prices, which is good for most of us if we're in that market and the idea that Manitoba and, and Winnipeg are growing. We're told that that's a good thing, and that's f- fueled mostly by immigration. So whose responsibility is it to invest in certain skills and to ensure that that immigrants and newcomers to Canada are most doing what they can in the economy that is most efficient, most effective, and utilizing the skills that they bring to the table? Who should be investing in that? Well, the the, the cuts are stage two. Any, any scores between five to eight. So if you were coming as an economic immigrant, then you need to have a five for the Manitoba nomination program, a seven for express entry, and a 6.5 even to attend any academic schooling. So if they're cutting what you need as a base, then who is missing out? Because they're still keeping the funding for those that are with no English level. So immigrants like refugees or family, uh, those that don't have to have a certain English base to enter the country. If you're coming as a skilled worker, you need, you fall in stage two. Stage two is getting cut, not stage one. So if you are coming into Canada already meeting stage two requirements, and then if you want to just do optional English language training, then that shouldn't be I guess something that the government should carry on. It should be the employers because with Let's say I have employed a person who's fluent in French and I can get more out of him if he can speak better English. Then why wouldn't I train him? Why not me, the employer, train him on the English? Why the government? When the government is putting all their resources on the basic needs for those that are coming in with zero language ability. You rattled off a bunch of numbers there regarding, uh, I think you had a six and a seven and a half. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, I... I'm not familiar with what you're talking about there. I'm wondering sure. if you can decipher sure. some of that for me. Sure. So any new immigrant, is, let's just focus on the economic skilled immigrants, those that are coming here to work, those that are coming here with a certain level of skill and knowledge and training, need to fall on a score level. So you would take a cell PIP test or an ITLETS test, and they score you as basic, intermediate, fluency on your English. So under five... So if you were going to score out of 10, under five, you are barely making it. You barely are speaking English or French. You are just, you know, beginners. And then five to eight, 
it's set to say that you are in a working, knowledgeable English. Like you could take training, you can understand instruction, you can go to a job site and say, hey, watch out, that ball wreck is coming at you and you duck, right? So you have to be able to function at a certain level. So the thing is, the unique thing about Canada is we do have a dual language, official dual language, French or English. So a newcomer could either come under fluent French or fluent English. Are there Canadians, are there people getting in without that first level Uh, of either language? Yes. So that's the low skill. That's the ones that are like the refugees and or family, like mom, dad, uh, husband, wife. So if I married somebody from overseas, let's say from India, they didn't need to speak English. They don't look at English. They look at the ability of our relationship. Maybe I just speak Hindi and that's fine. And we have our relationship in another language. But when it comes to the skill set, so this gentleman in the article is talking about finding a job. He's from Mali, which is a French-speaking country. So it's safe to say he's fluent in French, which probably means that he came through the economic stream claiming French as the primary language. So how often is it? Sorry, Rosanna, but how often then is someone like that... um, earmarked, shall we say, or encouraged to come to Manitoba. Obviously, there's a large French population here, but commerce is done in English almost exclusively in Manitoba, with some exceptions, I imagine. Why would that be an advantage for this individual who speaks fluent French to come to Manitoba? And in the article, he's talking about how I didn't come to Canada to mop floors. Mm -hmm. Why, Why are we setting someone up like this potentially for failure versus setting them up for success. Well, that's the debate. The debate is what is Canada doing to preserve the dual language? Like we're saying it is. It is official. But I lived in Ottawa and I was the minority uh, with my French. I had spoken French. I can speak French, but like as if it was a beginner. Under five, I would classify myself if I lived in Quebec. I'd be a minority for sure. I wouldn't have the skill set in the French to be getting executive positions in our same country. Now move towards the West and the far West you go, the less the French is prominent. Now Manitoba is French speaking as like New Brunswick is. We're at that same level with New Brunswick. But what is Manitoba government doing to preserve that? Is it just government jobs that are forcible in French? What are employers doing? So one of the questions I would say that is top, in my mind, is what is the government doing to encourage employers to have the French component? Not so much the government should just pay for English language training. What is the government doing for employers to encourage French? Why are we, like, lacking that? Why in Manitoba you don't really need French? I could talk to a dozen people right now in the middle of the street, right in front of your studio, and ask them who speaks French, and I can tell you probably none or maybe one would uh, just as common. Now, there is the community, you know, with the festival, and I, I did a lot of work with St. Boniface University. So there is a community here, but of it's course. not, it, it is a minority for sure. So why doesn't the government promote employers to integrate French training, vice versa, English for any French? So promote the French in the employment. We have a text message here uh, at 204 780 6868 that says, Why should I, as an employer, 
pay for English lessons in my line of work. If you can barely speak English in my job, it's a safety hazard. Do you have any reaction to that? Well, sure. My mom came in 1969 as a, as a seamstress, and she was recruited from the government, and she was recruited from one of the biggest textile employers in Manitoba at that time, and they did English training because if they could speak English, they get more work out of them. They did do piecework. They were working at barely 50 cents an hour. You can't tell me the employer didn't profit having my mother there at a certain wage, at a certain income, uh, keeping her there and integrating the English. Like, that's just, I mean, why do you have, like, you can't exploit employees. That's what you're basically saying is that I shouldn't have to do anything for my employees. Why give them benefits? Why give them dental? Let's just exploit them. That doesn't make any sense. If you're making money as an employer um, and having happy employees where they feel like they're a family, feel like they can grow there, then you'll have better production. If you have like grumpy employees or people that are unhappy, how far can your company even grow? So that's very short-sighted as far as my Well, then I would is. make the argument and I'm going to read mixed text message here. The government of Canada should have absolutely no financial involvement in teaching immigrants English. If you have inadequate ability, then any expenses to improve English should be their responsibility. The taxes we pay should tend to the needs of Canadians. Show me one foreign country that provides free language classes to newcomers who aren't fluent in their official language. There are too many socialists who'd love government to finance everything and anything. Money doesn't grow on tree. Well, I'm not a socialist in this sense. I'm an entrepreneur in this sense. Well, that doesn't make sense, that text message, because we are part of the UN. We have signed the agreement to help refugees. We've brought 50,000 refugees here on humanity's sake. And you want them to learn English. They're not going to be able to pay for private lessons. They didn't come by choice. They didn't make a conscious decision and say, let me get on a plane to Canada. They're running from bombs. So that that just is a mute discussion. Let's put all that stuff aside. If I am in charge of Manitoba mm-hmm. and I know that the key to our economic future is more people, more people from different countries because our population is not growing otherwise. It's the key to industry. Why wouldn't I, as a province, separate myself from all the other provinces and say, and guess what we're going to do? Mr. Professor, Mr. Doctor, Mr. Engineer, as opposed to you driving a taxi cab, opening up a bakery or or something that is below your level of education. We're going to do everything to make sure that we help you get ahead and that we are going to take advantage, and I don't use that terminology lightly, of all of your skills, not just some of them. Well, that's difficult because in a perfect world, we're getting perfect people here. So what I would do if it was me in charge, but I'm just a little person, but if it was me in charge, I would tear it up. I would tear it in three tiers. I would do one tier, two tier, three tier. So the one tier would be people who are coming here not by choice like the refugees. And then I would tier it as family class. So in in refugee land, there is government and then there's private. It is known statistically that the private-sponsored refugees are more successful. They have um, a direct relationship with a uh, family that wants them to get a job and helps them integrate and helps them move along quite quickly versus the government uh, refugees. Family the same, family the tie that binds. If I had five brothers and I brought all five brothers here, I would be helping them. I I have uh, clients who pay for their cousins and relatives English and put them through school. They're investing in their relative because they want their relative to be successful. 
Then there's the third tier, which is the economic stream. When you're here with a set amount of English or French, then it is expected for you on your own merit. Then, for example, this gentleman in the article, if he's fluent in French, it should be a combination for him to get some services from his employer and some on his own. If I wanted to learn French right now, master it. I do have it, but if I wanted to master it, then I am going to go pay for it we need myself. To pause. We need to pause our conversation, and sorry to step on your toes there, Rosanna. <laughs> Rosanna Pancato is with Prairie Sky Immigration, and we're talking about cuts by the federal government to advanced English programs for newcomers, and we will continue our chat after we have a quick look at your forecast up next. Today, showers with the risk of a thunderstorm, high of 22 degrees tonight, clearing a low of 13 tomorrow, a mix of sun and cloud, high of 23 Looking ahead to Friday, that's a holiday for some people. Cloudy with a chance of showers and a high of 22. Right now it's 19 degrees outside 680 CJOB. Who are these people with, who have Friday off? Lots of people. There are lots of employers were giving people the choice, Monday or oh, Friday. I thought it was like Friday and Monday. Some people are getting Friday and Monday. What? Check the social medias, Brett. You'll be shocked and dismayed. Well, that's sad. Rosanna Pancato is our guest. Prairie Sky Immigration is who she is with, talking about cuts by the federal government, Immigration, Refugees and Citizenship Canada, to advanced English programs for newcomers. We only have 60 seconds, so I guess we'll just, uh, should we just say, what's your closing argument, Rosanna? (laughs) Oh my gosh. Well, I think there's room for everybody here. I think there's some that the federal government needs to support. And then I think that uh, it's all a community, right? Employers need to do their part. Um, The federal government needs to do their part. And us as individuals have to do our own part, carry our own weight. My mom got her English paid for through her employer. Her employer, you know, trained her, provided all her basic needs and benefits, including English, and she stayed with them for 20 years, very loyal employee, and stayed in Manitoba and contributed. So I'm seeing it firsthand on the employee-employer side, and then also on the refugee side where the government is also a part of that. So I'm, I think it's tiered, and I think there's room for everybody. Thank you, Rosanna. Appreciate your insight on this. Uh, just for the record, we did reach out to the federal government for comment to get some clarification as to whether this was cuts, reassigning, existing funding, and uh, they've not gotten back to us. I think there was a tidbit, though. It said something about reassigning. Yeah, well, we, needs, we, 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 we wanted to get it straight <laughs> from them, and unfortunately we haven't received that yet. But thank you, Rosanna, oh, from uh, thanks, Prairie guys. Sky Immigration. She's the president and founder of Prairie Sky Immigration. Global News at 1.30 is up next. You got a diamond, you got nine men, you got a hat. And a you recognize this song? I do recognize it, but uh, is it Judas Priest? <laughs> no. And nobody's going to text message you angry that... How could you not know that song from the priest? <laughs> I don't know who this is. This is the long time, I don't know if it's a fan song or if it's a theme song for the Toronto Blue Jays. Okay. That's why I know it then. That is why you know it. Whether you want to know it or not, you know it. Oh, that's right. You don't like the Toronto baseball birds. Okay. Okay. Blue Jays, Blue Jays, let's play 
catchy. I have to admit. Yep. It's fairly catchy. Why am I playing that? Well, there's a decision out of Ontario. This is uh, from uh, the Toronto Sun. It says, Blue Jays beer can tosser sentenced. The Crown recommending, oh, uh, sentenced? So sentenced. this is out of date. What is the sentence? A man who threw a beer onto the field during a dramatic Blue Jays playoff game last fall has been given a conditional discharge. Okay. Ken Pagan pleaded guilty to mischief in connection with the incident last month. The conditions of Pagan's discharge include a period of community service and an order to stay away from Major League Baseball games for one year. Pagan apologized in court, saying he threw the can when his emotions got the best of him (laughs) in an exciting moment. The Crown had said that Pagan's crime caused a significant disruption in the game and created concerns for player safety. Now, Greg, you certainly have a better... I I remember this, but you have a better memory about this kind of stuff than I do. Can you sort of bring us back to that? No, that would be tough for me because, uh, like I say, the Blue Jays are not uh, the team that I follow with a a lot of fervor. If this had happened at Wrigley Field, I could probably give you some more details. But, uh, you know, we've seen... A variety of incidents like these over the years. Have you got some details there as quickly as you can type? Well, the can that was thrown from... So this was... uh, He admitted tossing a can of beer on the field as a Baltimore Orioles player was about to catch a fly ball during the seventh inning of a pivotal wildcard game in Toronto. So the can thrown from the stands at the October 4 game just missed outfielder... Is it Hyun Soo Kim? Am I saying that correctly? Sounds great. Hyun Soo Kim, as he made the catch, and this can of beer narrowly missed the player, nearly interfered with the play, and caused a significant disruption in the game. And, of course, it created concerns for player safety. I mean, if you're throwing a can of liquid at somebody, of course it's going to hurt, like, all potentially seriously, if it were to crack them in the back of the head. So, yeah, there was a... And it was quite the the... Saga, you know, I remember seeing all the news stations sort of zeroing in on who they thought because somebody I think had gone on YouTube and posted a video. Of You're who absolutely they correct. You're absolutely correct. And I think initially they were wrong about who it was. Yeah. And then uh, Pagan actually had a career at some point in in journalism. Uh, Pagan's lawyer had asked for his client to be given an absolute discharge, saying that his client had suffered from intense media scrutiny since the can toss become the butt of jokes, and has been subjected to online harassment. Boo-hoo. You know what? Why don't you think about that before you misbehave in a public place like this? Yeah. What if you can fall short? Never mind the target of your angst, a Baltimore Orioles player. What if it falls short and you hit a fellow patron, a fellow fan in the back of the head? Or a kid. Or a kid, God forbid. I mean... I don't know how many of you were, well, I know there were about 53,000 people at the Grey Cup in 1991, and everyone has seen the highlight. If you weren't in the stadium, you've seen the highlight of Rocket Ismail's kickoff return for a touchdown when some bozo in the stands threw what I believe was a frozen OV at the Rocket. <laughs> so remember, you, Of course you remember the beer. Well, I, I don't know if that's 100%. I know that that's what they were selling in the stands that day, Brett. Were you, and were it you was there? So, oh, yeah. It was so <laughs> cold that day that, A, they didn't even have ticket takers. 
because you'd only like if you didn't have a ticket, you'd be an idiot to show up without one. Okay. And all the seats were sold. So if you didn't have a ticket, you weren't getting a seat. What year was that? That was 1991. November, I want to say November 22nd, 21st or 22nd, 1991, if memory serves. And uh, it was so cold that day that they didn't have the beer on ice, of course. They had them in cooler bags so they wouldn't freeze. Because as soon as you crack the beer, it started to freeze. You had to drink it in a certain amount of time, or you were not consuming that entire liquid beverage. Looks like it was minus 16 at kickoff. Yes. Making it uh, the coldest Grey Cup final ever. Mm, it was nasty. I was living in Calgary at the time. I drove through the night to come home for the game and sat beside two gentlemen from Saskatchewan who had long trench coats with pockets, small pockets. And they said they'd gone to the MLCC and purchased a Mickey of every type of alcohol that they'd never seen before. They had a veritable buffet in their coat. (laughs) You want a drink? (laughs) Imagine a shady guy trying to sell you a pocket watch in downtown Detroit to Chicago. Oh, yeah. He's opening up his trench coat. It was absolute mayhem. There (laughs) were no rules that day at uh, Winnipeg Stadium. It was... Uh, a memorable day to stay, say the least. Matt Dunnigan willed the Argonauts to win that game on his broken shoulder. It was uh, quite the game. I uh, shall never, ever forget it. Ironically, not the coldest I've ever been in my life. Really? It was at another football game in 2000 in Seattle on a November. It was actually a Grey Cup Sunday, ironically enough. And it was one degree and raining in Seattle. It was so cold you in, may have, seattle. in seattle in seattle you may yeah. have seen my seattle seahawks jacket i purchased that jacket that day because i was dressed what i thought for, was for the elements and bought that jacket it was a parka one of the warmest jackets i have but that's the coldest i've ever been in and, my life what was the temperature it was maybe one or two degrees and Excelsius? raining yeah and raining but okay so yeah because i have uh believe it or not i have been to a football game in seattle i went to see the uh the Seahawks play San Diego when Doug Flutie was a quarterback. Oh, neat. But the, the, the lousy thing about it was this was in, when they were in transition for their stadiums. Yeah, so, University of Washington Stadium. Yeah. So it, that actually was weird because it, it really looked like just a bigger version of Winnipeg Stadium. You're 100% accurate. But they, they just had uh, like a full sort of U that connected the two, the two grandstands. But then it was open on the end and I... If memory serves, there was a lake or lake a river. Union. Lake Union, yeah, right so, to, directly to the east there. And we were sitting like on that end, like right up against the wall. So it was, you're right, it was cold because it was raining and misty and humid. And that's the problem. When it's humid and cold, it just goes right through your bones. To give you an idea of how big that stadium is compared to the old Winnipeg Stadium, uh, we sat, we went to see the St. Louis Rams there. Mm-hmm. And against the Seahawks. And I think we sat in row XX in the upper deck, which would be what? Around row XYZ, so 24, like row 48. And those upper deck portions, because Seattle's home to Boeing, right? Those whole upper decks are like built out of composite plastic. Okay. It's really cool. 
it gets a little slippery, but it's kind of, and it does, it looks like a gigantic University of Washington Husky Stadium, as they call it. It does look like a gigantic Winnipeg Stadium. Anyway, how did we get from Toronto to Winnipeg to Seattle <laughs> to Husky Stadium? Well done, Brett McGarry. You are learning how to take stories on incredible <laughs> tangents. I'm so proud of you right now. The train of thoughts just all over the map, <laughs> every station along the way. Anyway, the question has to be, uh, is this enough of a deterrent to other people? Because let's face it, this isn't about this guy's never going to throw a beer at anything again. He may not even throw a beer across his backyard at a picnic to a friend again, based <laughs> on what's happened in his life. Is this enough of a deterrent to stop other people from throwing stuff on the ice, on the field, at professional sports games? I, I don't know if it does. 204-780-6868. What are your thoughts on this? Because it's interesting now that I think this guy was found because of social media. This is the first time that I can think of in memory where there was this large campaign where people were posting videos on YouTube where they had done their own detective work, where they went into the highlights and were zooming in and trying to point the finger at the guy who did it. Whereas when someone tossed a can of OV at the rocket in 1991. You know, there was none of that. There was no forensic video. I don't think that there was any other... No. There would, I, don't, I don't think there was another camera angle either. No, there wouldn't. And of course, the most famous fan interference story of all time invo- involves my Chicago Cubs and Steve Bartman. If you ever get the chance to find the documentary, it's a 30 for 30 from ESPN called Raising Hell, the story of Steve Bartman, who interfered with Moises Alou of the Cubs when the Cubs were on their way to victory against the Miami Marlins. I guess it would have been in game five of the NLCS at Wrigley Field. Bartman was vilified to the point where he had to go into hiding. This documentary shows you exactly and tells you what they had to do to keep him safe in the hours immediately following the game. His life has never been the same. So, you know, the, these stories about fans being vilified, uh, they are true, but none like Steve Bartman. And that, that's an incredible story. <laughs> I love our, I love our listeners. What kind of zero hucks a half full can of OV? Now, Blue, that's a whole different story. <laughs> Blair says, I was there at the 91 Grey Cup. I got two beer, went to my seat in the uh, temporary stands. Those temporary stands, like I think were the tallest structure in Winnipeg at the time. They went forever north of the North End Grandstand. Yeah. By the time I sat back down and finished the first, the second was very much a slurpee. The wind made it worse than minus 16 cheers from Blair. Oh, yeah, that, that was the big story of the win, too. And, of course, I remember watching the game with my dad, and uh, he was saying, I bet you there's some idiot. There's going to be some idiots you watch. We're going to see a couple of goofs with their shirts off. And sure enough, by, I think, the third quarter, we got that. So, oh, has our poutine arrived? Our poutine's Thank arrived. You, Thank you, Taylor. Right on. Uh, gonna... Matt, you notice how Cardi's lurking. <laughs> He's lurking around. He's kind of like a, the great white shark right now. We haven't been bitten the first time yet, yep. but he's waiting for the blood to spill into the water so that he can strike. <laughs> Let's pause. We'll have a look at your forecast and let us know if you have any thoughts on this business about people throwing things at Games, big games, 
Should people be in more trouble for this? Because the potential for disaster is, I think, fairly significant. When you're talking about hurling a can of beer from the stands, as Greg said, what if it were to fall short and hit someone else? Would you want, not to make it paint an extreme picture here, but you certainly wouldn't want your child being hit by a can of beer. So 204-780-6868 is the number to call. It is the number to text. This guy in Toronto got a conditional discharge. Should he have actually gotten jail time 204-780-6868 is the number to call or text the crown was recommending a sentence of 12 months probation so that's essentially what he got should his sentence have been a little bit stiffer 204-780-6868 your forecast is up next cleveland asks what about the octopus in detroit and the catfish in nashville people are i don't know if they're allowed prompted if they've got a secret deal with security to throw those things on the ice in those two places. Wouldn't that stink having an octopus sitting in a bag beside you for an entire hockey game? Like, can you, there's no way you'd get through security at MTS (laughs) bell MTS place Mm -hmm. to a jets game with a Winnipeg gold eye that you wanted to throw on the ice. It was, it would like simply not happen. So there has to be some sort of arrangement with these people to throw these animals, yeah, <laughs> these fair. beings on the ice in celebration. Uh, we're talking about the fact that Toronto Blue Jay fan who threw the beer at the playoff game last year. Yeah. He's uh, basically getting a, do you call it a suspended sentence? Conditional discharge. I think I just used American terminology there. He'll have to do some community service, and he's been ordered to stay away from Major League Baseball games for a year. But he can go to hockey games, apparently. <laughs> well, you can now try uh, to see what what the landing surface is like in a hockey game as yeah, opposed to a baseball game. Exactly, diamond. exactly. Thanks for your text messages. We are uh, having fun. Uh, I don't know. Our conversation just kind of does what it does sometimes. It took on a life of its own, and we ended up in Seattle at Husky Stadium Mm -hmm. enjoying NFL games. Mine was in September. Yours was in December of the same year. Looks like 2001, yeah, Yeah. from what I can tell, because it was San Diego Chargers when Doug Flutie was their quarterback against Seattle. I'm I'm certain that it was that game. I'm not entirely positive, but I remember it being a, a bust of a game because the I think the Chargers scored, drew first blood almost immediately. Like within the first five minutes, there was a touchdown scored. It looked like it was going to be a shootout. And then after that, it was just a field goal party. And then the score was 13 to 10 in favor of the Chargers by the, or actually, no, I guess uh, Seattle would have won this because I'm looking at San Diego's Wikipedia page. But uh, yeah, so Seattle beat San Diego 13 to 10. Yeah, the Chargers were not boring game. Or the uh, Seahawks weren't that good back then. They were on the cusp of being good. Somebody pointing out the Rats at Florida Panthers games that became popular in the 1996. People throw playoffs. rats onto the ice? They had these plastic rats. There's a legend that goes along with it. I don't know it off the top of my head. But in the 1996 NHL playoffs, the Panthers were a brand new team. I think they'd been in the league for two or three years. And they made it all the way to the Stanley Cup finals. John Van Beesbrook was their goaltender. And I think somewhere along the line, someone had killed a rat or a mouse, as the legend goes, in a dressing room on the road. I'll have to look this up. I wish Keith McCullough was here because he'd know it right off the top of his head. Long story short, they started selling these little plastic rats. They're about five, six inches long. And whenever 
when the Panthers scored their first goal, thousands of these rats would flow onto the ice. People would throw them like the teddy bear toss. Have you ever been that the moose game around Christmas time? No. Yeah. This like six times worse, like 20,000 rats every game. Oh my gosh. And the goalies would have to kind of back up into their net (laughs) and hide in their net. And the players would kind of sit on the bench. They'd let the rats rain down and then they clean them up and move on. I'm surprised the NHL allowed that, but it came a little, became a little bit of a phenomenon and a story. And uh, I guess once something like that catches on, you have a hard time stopping it. And at Wrigley field, never mind. get this. If you catch a home run ball at Wrigley and it's from the other team, you're supposed, you're supposed to throw it back. Really? And when you throw it back, chances are you get kicked out of the game. Really? Kid you not. Been there, seen it. So the fans expect you to throw it back. Yep. Throw it back. Throw it back is the chant from the bleacher bums. And, of course, you've caught a home run ball. Every baseball fan's dream. And you've got to throw it back. You get cheered. And then security comes. And maybe they just pretend to throw you out at Wrigley Field, but that's the impression is that even though you've done the right thing in quotation marks, uh, you're escorted out of the stadium because you're not allowed to throw stuff on the field. Hello. That's no fun. Uh, I'm just very quickly here. Have you ever thrown a hat onto a hockey rink? No, A, I'm too cheap and B, my seats are way too high for me to ever throw a hat for a hat trick. I'm way too cheap to ever consider it. How many of those hats that are thrown are do you think come off of the heads of guys who have had uh, several beers? Uh, is all a potential answer? Sounds good to me. Global News at 2 o'clock coming up, and then we're going to try a whole bunch of different poutine. It smells good. Jeff Forte will make sure you get some. Stand by for news. We're going to blow the, you have a face for a radio myth out of the water in just a couple of minutes. <laughs> we're going live on Facebook with at least three of the most handsome men in Winnipeg. <laughs> and and the 34th greatest Canadian of all time. Thank you very much. Kyle Anderson. Hung around for That's the poutine. The one, <laughs> live. Good. All right. What are we doing here, I think Brett? it has to be flipped to portrait. No, it's good like that. Are you sure? Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm almost certain. All right. Almost certain. If it's sideways... Um, okay, don't worry about it. it. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get to the food. So we have uh, on the phone, we have a couple of people uh, regarding poutine. We have Andrew Chow, who is the co-founder of Skip the Dishes, and Ryan Smolkin, who is the founder and CEO of Smokes Poutinery. And Jeff Forte, I'll get you to bring them on, because when we have uh, multiple phone guests, I usually end up losing one of them. So, uh, Ryan, we'll start with you as the founder and CEO of Smokes Poutinery. We have five poutines here. This is all in celebration of Canada 150. And one of them is the O Canada poutine. I got that one. That's me. Okay. Fire it up, boys and girls. And I think you've mistook it for the O Canada. Andrew Chow. That one, the female bacon, double smoked bacon, French toast, and fresh maple syrup all on top of the fries, cheese curd, and gravy. Isn't that Canada love in a box, baby? I am rolling in it right now. <laughs> Ryan, you call yourself the chief uh, entertainment officer. We we very quickly found out why. Well done, my friend. Gotta fire it up. It's all about having fun, just going over the edge, baby, all about. 
So you've got uh, two kinds of, of bacon. Was that part of the, the where you, where you, when you were concocting this, did you say, let's just get as much bacon as we can into this? Bacon, bacon, and more bacon, baby. That's what it's all about. And then uh, you'll love this because uh, we have made it exclusive uh, to Skip the Dishes to take it on the, uh, the third-party delivery. So they're pounding that out at a bunch of locations. We just signed on with them. And then we're taking it to Parliament Hill. We're right up on the hill, baby, this weekend, serving it out to a million people live on the hill with the fireworks in Ottawa. So pumped <laughs> up. We're taking the old Canada <laughs> to the next level. So, Andrew, if so, or pardon me, Ryan, if somebody walks into a smokes poutinery in Winnipeg, they actually can't order it. They can only get it through Skip the Dishes. Nope, they can order it there. Skip the Dishes is the only one delivering it. And they're delivering it for free up until Canada Day, up until July 2. For free. So they're and- delivering it to people. Can you believe it? <laughs> so Andrew Chow, co-founder of Skip the Dishes, then uh, how much of a boon has it been for you folks to, uh, to get this particular item as uh, an exclusive delivery option for you? It's been massive. Uh, I mean, the demand has been off the charts. I mean, we're... We've never seen poutine move this quickly. Um, we're delivering thousands of poutine every single day. And, and, you know, especially in Winnipeg, Winnipeggers love poutine. Dude, they've been setting records in Winnipeg, too. Winnipeg is number one in the country right now for the delivery service to skip the dishes. And uh, we can tell you, just insane numbers. Like, honestly, over double their sales. Like, half their sales are going through the delivery. And the huge chunk of that is the O-Canada-Poutine. <laughs> Apparently, there's a lot of booze in the poutine, too. We're going to be pumping it out like this one right now. Awesome national partner. I can't give it a five, high five over the phone, but I'm giving you one right now. Now, high five! Give it to me, brother. High five. <laughs> <laughs> Virtual high five. <laughs> so, Ryan, uh, I understand that uh, the company vision for Smokes Poutinery is to achieve global domination. Is that correct? Global domination. Since day one, I've been preaching it. I, I ran the till at the first restaurant, the first store we had seven years ago. I, it was one big baby. It was me running the show, and I was going, global domination, global domination. We're taking the Canadian classic to the rest of the world. And it hit hard. 09 was the very first location. Had one. I said, we're going to do 10 and 10, 10 in 2010. Guess what? We did it. And guess what? We're in that first 10 was Winnipeg. They were my first one outside of Ontario, and we blew it out the door from day one there, and those dudes are still blowing it out the door and doing awesome. So we did 10 and 10, then doubled to 20 in 2011, then doubled again 2012 to 40, and then exponential from there to 150 locations throughout North America, and boom, now it's going for global domination. Woo, yeah! So what's the <laughs> deal, boys? So what's the next step for you then? Uh, you've you've conquered North America. Where do you go overseas? Already happened. Already registered. Already set up to take it uh, the top five. Uh, old Europe, UK, obviously Australia, very Canadiana. Uh, then the Middle East and Asia. Those are our five top. And we've already got uh, LOIs, letter of intents happening all over there. It is going global. Domination. Glo- <laughs> global domination is the theme. That? Did I mention global domination? No, yet? it's the first time, Ryan. Hey, Andrew, <laughs> how do you keep up with an e- energy and the energy of a company like Smokes and and to? You know, I think one of the big concerns that restaurants might have in terms of enlisting a third party deliverer, skip the dishes I have in mind, that there's a certain culture within that 
community and within that restaurant that's being created, how do you transfer that and keep that true uh, when you're delivering on behalf of a, of a restaurant like a place like Smokes? Absolutely. You know what? We, we embrace it and we embody it. I mean, uh, Ryan is a great guy. Uh, we, we, you know, work extremely closely with all of our restaurant partners. Um, you know, we embody that culture and we make sure, you know, uh, they make great food, great poutine, and we make sure, you know, we can deliver on that. Um, so, you know, we've got the technology to back that, you know, we're the only, I mean, where else can you get, you know, your poutine delivered with GPS tracking, Right. So, you know, exactly where your driver is at, at all times. You know exactly when your food's going to arrive. Um, and that's so, what you know, we're we, loving about it, too. It's that back end support and the fact that these dudes are real. You know, they get it. We're talking to the main peeps. We're, we're driving this together. They're the ones that have opened the arms and understand what a true partnership is all about. And now we're all in it for the same game. Right. And so we're all in it to get poutine to people. Right. That's all we're in it for. Serve the Canadian classic to the world. See, that's all we're in it for. Right. Ryan, it's about. Ryan, but the nice thing is, in all seriousness, is that they get it, and it's a true partnership. That's why we're loving our time, and, and that's why we've launched uh, those 11, blowing it out the door this past week. We're only in week two, and we're setting all the <laughs> records. It is crazy, but we've already got a whole slew on the table for the next locations coming out with Skip the Dishes. It rock and rolls across the country, coast to coast, baby. How has the uptake been, Andrew, overall on this idea of having your food delivered from the non traditional quote-unquote uh, restaurants uh, that never had this as an option for themselves? It, it's one of our biggest growth drivers. I mean, um, almost all of our restaurants that we work with had never offered delivery before. So, uh, I mean, who would have thought you can get poutine delivered to your home or office? Um, and, you know, that's it's the those restaurant partners. Smoke did. And, you know, Smoke, Smoke thought that. He did. But we'll get into that later. Smoke's a genius, though. So. Sorry. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's, it's great. It's our biggest growth driver. I mean, people are always looking for different options, variety and convenience. And, and that's what we bring to the table with, you know, you just download the app or go to skip the dishes dot com, uh, place your order and then, you know, you get your food um, you know, right delivered to wherever you are. Well, I'm, <clears throat> pardon me, I'm just uh, enjoying the, uh, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I'm enjoying the, uh, the Philly steak poutine at the moment. And somebody said this to me recently, and, and uh, Ryan, I'll put it to you first. Uh, is, it, is it sort of uh, not a pure version of poutine when you put all these weird toppings on it? Oh, my God, dude. It is so real. Smoke has foreseen that since the beginning of time. This was his idea. Smoke, the man, the myth, the legend who came to me with this idea, said, Ryan, I want you to take this to the rest of the world. Take the Canadian classic to the rest of the world. But hey, while we're at it, let's load everything you can think of in the world on top of it. But it sticks to the base. French fries, cheese curd, and gravy. And we get our cheese curd fresh from Quebec, and our sauce is all made out of Quebec. So keeps that heritage, keeps the reality of the original uh, uh, for the poutine, but anything you can think of, throw on top. And it does not bastardize it. It enhances it. It takes it to a whole new level. It allows us to go across the world and put anything you can think of on top. It's like that empty pallet. It's anywhere, anytime. Load those fries up. Load that poutine with whatever you want. That's poetry in a box, baby. God damn. <laughs> Ryan, I have to ask you. You said poutine. You've said poutine. Are either correct? Poutine. That is the 
Quebec. If you're going, if you're uh, Quebec East, it'll be Poutine. If you're anywhere Ontario West or the rest of the world, it's Poutine. So usually we call, we usually when we talk, we talk Poutine just for the masses. But for you know, for the for that those people in the know, it's Poutine. But we have to simplify, especially for the people south of the border. I didn't say that. No one heard that, right? They're not going to pick up on this uh, spot, are they? But it's poutine. Okay. Poutine. So we're speaking with Ryan Smolkin, who is uh, founder, CEO of Smokes Poutinery, and Andrew Chow, who is co-founder of Skip the Dishes. Andrew, I got to tell you, I mean, your business clearly has blown up as well just in recent years. Uh, I can't tell you how many times when I'm driving around where I see your delivery drivers just all over the city. You, how Did you ever foresee how quickly you would conquer the field uh, when it comes to this sort of business? You know, to, to follow Ryan's words, you know, gl- global domination. <laughs> but, you know, we, we really set out to build a, you know, a Canadian, uh, Canadian company. We're based out of Winnipeg. Uh, we have our roots here. And, you know, we're, we're really, you know, fortunate to have a lot of support from restaurant partners, but also, you know, the community here in Canada. I mean, we've, um, you know, we're in over 30 markets now, both in Canada and the U.S., um, sort of coast to coast across Canada. And, uh, you know, we're, we're proud of what we've done and, and, uh, you know, we're, we couldn't have done it with the rest, without the restaurant partners that we, we work with. And, you know, Ryan is a, a prime example of someone who really understands, um, what delivery can, can do, um, to, uh, support his business. And, um, you know, we're really excited about, there, there's still so much more left. You know, everyone eats three times a day. Um, there's over, you know, 200 markets across North America that we can still go after. So, uh, we've got, you know, high hopes and high goals uh, to go after. Well, you guys pegged this absolutely perfectly. The best way to get on the radio is just send the guys food. And so here <laughs> you are. We appreciate you doing this, but this is obviously as Canadian as it gets. And for you, Andrew, the su- success story that Skip the Dishes represents for our community is immeasurable in my mind. You really have become the landmark in terms of what we can do in this community in terms of new technology and entrepreneurship. Hal Anderson is here. Matt Cardi is here, as is Kyle Milroy. They've been very quietly consuming <laughs> these uh, fabulous dishes. Hal, uh, what's your impression of the well, old Canada, first of first all? First of all, my love for Mackling and McGarry just went incredibly high. <laughs> I'll uh, second that. I thought too. it was high, but it's re- Let me just say uh, that uh, I started with, and I've tried several, I started with the Oh Canada! <laughs> yeah! I, uh, am the, I am the 34th greatest Canadian of all time, and I would uh, uh, gladly uh, do something uh, with uh, you guys because uh, this is phenomenal. It, it's incredible. Like, there's French toast sticks yeah. on that. And uh, maple, is there maple on the uh, Oh Canada? Yes, sir. Maple yeah. syrup, a little drench on top of the French toast, double smoked bacon, and female bacon. Yeah. Wow. Canadian it's at its best. Phenomenal. All right. Well, I think we're going to let I'm you. I'm surprised you had a chance to talk. Usually <laughs> people don't have a chance to talk when they stick the fork into that one. <laughs> well, listen, Andrew Chow, co founder of Skip the Dishes, Ryan Smolkin, founder and CEO of Smokes Poutinery. Thank you so much uh, for. Joining us today and for sending the poutine over, it's amazing. And Which we're gonna... was hot, by the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, Andrew checks all the boxes. Yeah, it was nice and Fantastic. warm. So we're going to give our <laughs> verdicts on these. Uh, we're going to pause and give our verdicts on all these various poutine in a moment. So Andrew and Ryan, we'll let you guys go. Thank you so much for joining us. Happy Canada Day to, Canada Day to the both of you, all right? 
Rock and roll, Bye. brother. Thanks a lot. Really appreciate it. Okay, it is two nineteen. Your forecast is coming up next. We got all the comments during the Facebook Live. Those are faces for radio. Yeah, well, we know. We know all about it. Hey, it's Greg Mackling, Brett McGarry, along with our uh, colleagues and friends. Kyle Milroy is here. Matt Cardi is here. And the 34th greatest Canadian of all time, Hal Anderson, is here. We're celebrating Canada Day a little bit early. We're eating poutine. Our friends at Smokes Poutinery and Skip the Dishes sent over five of these deluxe, these new do we call them flavors? Do we call them concoctions? Either way, we're trying them, and we're going to give you the verdict on uh, how good these things are or aren't. We're going to be honest about it. But uh, based on the silence in the studio, not a whole lot of objections. Milroy? <laughs> yeah, I don't. Uh, this is a dream come true, actually. We're walking <laughs> into the studio, and there's all this p- poutine here, as they say. Um, of all the ones that I had, I think I like, well, besides the Okan and the one that's a limited edition one, but the Progi one's really good, having a... Uh, Having uh, in-laws that are uh, men like, they'll, it'll do the, do them proud, get some good pierogies in there. It's really tasty. The pierogies are good, too, not just the, all the cheese and stuff with it. The pierogies are excellent. Brett, can you ever go wrong with putting pierogies on anything? Um, I'm not a fan of the pierogi pizzas that are out there because I never understand why they're spicy. I will agree I've with never, them on that, yeah. I've never yeah. had yeah. spicy okay. pierogies, okay. but the pierogi okay. pizza that, I think it's at Boston Pizza. Yeah, it's yeah. Boston, yeah. It burns my, like, I feel like I'm eating the sun <laughs> oh, when so I have that good. pierogi pizza. So, so good. I'm not a fan of that. I'll tell you, talking about spicy, uh, the Korean steak, if you like spicy, oh, it's good. that's yeah. spicy. But yeah. it's a good spicy, you know, mm-hmm. it's that one that kind of sneaks up behind you, you know, and... And then you go, oh, that's spicy. Yeah, the jerk chicken's got a little bit of spice to it yeah. as well. Yeah. yeah, I like spice when it adds when it, it is that kind of like build up sort of flavor without burning your insides out. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think for me, the of the poutines that we got, so we got five. There was the O Canada one. I'm not going to sing it. We had uh, <laughs> the pierogi poutine, Korean barbecue. Jerk chicken and Philly cheesesteak. I think I liked the uh, the Philly cheesesteak. That's me that's too. That's good, my yeah. number one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's excellent. Yeah, What's it's in that Philly cheesesteak again? It has, Cheese uh, and steak. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Matt Cardi. <laughs> there is some roasted red peppers, so there is actually a little bit oh, of nutrition in there. Yeah. Sautéed mushrooms, caramelized onions, and, of course, cheese sauce. I really like, I'm surprised, but I really like the Canadian one. It's good. Mm-hmm. It know? is very good. It's like breakfast in a bar. I was just going to say that it's like you're eating breakfast. Yeah. yeah it's right. the maple syrup, which really does it for me. I, yeah. I, you never thought you'd put that on French fries and cheese, but it goes so well. Well, they've tried so hard over the years to convince me that maple is like the best flavor of all time. I've never really been there, but it works somehow yeah. with this concoction. I really yeah. dig it. Yeah. No, it's excellent. All, they're all fantastic, but if I picked my favorite, it would be the Philly cheese. Yeah, steak. I think pierogi. Yeah, I'm, not gonna, like yeah, right I'm not going to. I'm not going to complain about any free poutine. Yeah, so that's exactly. <laughs> Fellas, I just want to say, if you ever need a taste uh, competition like this again, call me, please. We're available. <laughs> okay, we got you. We will do, Matt Cardi, and thank you very much to Julie Buckingham for coming in here to shoot this on Facebook Live and putting up with my. Does it have to be in portrait or landscape? I don't know about these, uh, <laughs> these internet social medias. Uh, you go to. Couple of great texts, real quick here. Hey guys, Chip and Pepper selling poutine. Who would have thought? <laughs> and uh, somebody asking about the slaughterhouse. So good, it's off their hidden menu. That's at Spokes Poutinery. Oh, so we need to give thanks again to Ryan Smolkin, who is the founder and CEO. Slash, that's the chief entertainment officer of Smokes Poutinery, and Andrew Chow, co-founder of Skip the Dishes. You can get Smokes Poutinery delivered to you courtesy of Skip the Dishes. Global News at two thirty. Oh, and thanks to Hal Anderson, Matt Cardi, and Kyle Milroy for joining us. Global News at two thirty is up next.
next. 234. It's time for a nap, McGarry, but we don't have time. We've got another hour and a half to do here. Thanks one more time to uh, Smokes Poutinery and our friends at Skip the Dishes for uh, sending in uh, these amazing concoctions that uh, are flying off the shelves by all accounts. And uh, you can catch up on uh, any of our shows on uh, Omni and also on iTunes. But also for this segment, you can go to our Facebook page. We uh we Facebook lived it. I don't know if that's an actual terminology, but uh, we're going to go with it. Works we for me. were on Facebook Live, and uh, you can check out the video. Andrew Chow, uh, co-founder of Skip the Dishes, and Ryan Smolkin, uh, founder and CEO, chief entertainment officer of Smokes Poutinery, joined us via telephone. McGarry, we have in-studio guests this half hour. We do, and we're happy to welcome to the studio with us. We have the executive director of the Winnipeg Symphony Orchestra, Trudy Schroeder, and Alexander Micklethwaite, who is the music director. And the reason they are here, it's the 70th birthday party and community celebration tonight at 7 o'clock for the WSO Centennial Concert Hall. Tickets only 7 bucks, so this is a real... Steal, if you ask me, to get in and see the and say happy birthday to the WSO. So, welcome to the studio. Thank yeah, you so much for, for joining us. us. Thank you. Thank and, you. And happy birthday. What a grand way to celebrate 70 years of the WSO. Trudy, uh, maybe just give us a little bit of an idea of how the WSO started. Here we are in Winnipeg, uh, I guess, uh, uh, so far into our history, but this has been the WSO, a big part of. The community for now 70 years, a majority of the time that Winnipeg has been a city. Exactly. And actually, one of our volunteers in the office just today brought in something that I have never seen before. In 1948, when they decided to set up this orchestra, they they, they registered provincially in 1947. And then in 1948, they couldn't figure out even then, it's been 70 years of trying to figure out how you get enough money to actually run an orchestra. But they decided, I guess the board at the time decided they were going to make it a sort of a an organization with shares. And so they they got a whole bunch of people in the community to buy $5 shares in this institution. And and so they sold them to people. And and the lady walked in today with her husband's um, great-grandparents or grandparents share in the Winnipeg Symphony Orchestra, which was done in 1948. $5, people put $5 in, and that is what started the orchestra. And then at a certain point later on, you know, because you can imagine 70 years later, that share is worth actually zero. (laughs) (laughs) I was wondering, how much is it now? Like yeah, an Apple yeah, stock? Yeah, I or? know, it's, it's one of those things. It's like you've got a great orchestra, but the share itself is, you know, <laughs> worth nothing. They changed the way it was organized, I think, in, sort of in the 50s to make it a, a, just a reg- registered charity. And so then the, the shares became, you know, valueless, except as a really neat artifact. I'd heard about this, but never seen one before. So 70 years of great music. By the way, I just did, looked it up online. $5 in 1947 has the same buying power as $56.15 wow. in current day money. So there See, you go. Now that's what we should have charged for the tickets tonight. Not $7, but $56.50. We got it wrong. Oh, well. What are you going to do? So, Alexander, the, the musicians that are in your orchestra, I've always been curious about this. How much time in a given week do they spend practicing to stay on top of their game? That's a good question. I cannot speak for them, of course. I don't want to. <laughs> it depends maybe on the instrument also. Like some of the woodwinds, um, they have very often solo passages, um, as if you would stand in front of it and play solo. So they might play uh, rehearse more. 
um, I guess, between eight, ten hours in a week, sometimes more. I know that some actually don't go out Saturday evenings because they have to stay on schedule um, and be conscientious because on Sunday they have a concert. So there's a certain rhythm they have and to be really on top in top form. Sounds like an athlete almost in terms of a oh, routine, absolutely. right? One forgets actually how like physically challenging it is in a way that you kind of, when you have a brass player, your lips, um, that's where your muscles are and you have to constantly watch how you, well... <laughs> use them and same with a string player it's very very physical um well and, and an activity one well, requires so much discipline to me partly because you're just you know for you're sitting in that one spot for a uh, couple of hours and you like let's say you have a an itchy leg or something well you can't really <laughs> do anything about that and i like i i don't think i've ever sat in the audience and and seen one of your one of the members of the orchestra struggling with a fidgety leg or anything like that. Like they're they're like a like an army up there. They're very disciplined. <laughs> I never thought of it those terms, but you're completely right. Um, I mean, of course, when I have a fidgety leg, I can just like <laughs> move it or something, or you know, I'm, because I'm moving up there anyway. But um, you're right; they're very disciplined. That's for sure, and um, it's quite remarkable if you think about it, because. All of them, they started when they were at least six years old and what, like when they were kids and what profession is there nowadays where you have to start so early? Like even a brain surgeon starts, I don't know, when you're in your 20s. So that skill set is extremely, um, well, high and quite remarkable. My kids, I uh, got one that plays piano, one that plays drums. They both play guitar. And they always are, you know, they're asking for the accoutrements, right? Uh, they want the, they want an amplifier and then they want this and they want that. And it's like, you know what, until I'm dragging you off the instrument and telling you you're playing it too much, you're not practicing enough. And I think I'm being a little bit hard on them. What, what's a, you know, for youngsters that are eight, nine, 10 years old, what's a sufficient amount of time, Alexander, for you to really kind of create a little bit of a love affair with an instrument and to get somewhat proficient at it? You know, it's hard to say because I, when I was, I remember when I was eight years old, I, mean, I started when I was six, the first two years my mom said, okay, every day, half an hour, half an hour. And I was like, all right, whatever, you know. <laughs> when I was eight. You too? <laughs> even, yes. So I got to phone your years, mom and get absolutely. some advice from her. Yeah. So when I was eight, I started playing Beethoven. Ba, 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 bam, bam, bam. Or like, and for whatever reason, I just loved it. And from, from eight years old on, she didn't have to tell me anymore. I just practiced. It got, I, I was hooked. Mm -hmm. Lots of our musicians, though, say around 13 or 14, like they need a fair bit of prompting. And then at a certain stage around that sort of starting, you know, middle school, that suddenly they get it. And suddenly they, they, they actually are making music and they're loving it. And that's when they start practicing like crazy. So, so lots of them, four and five hours a day of practicing has been their lifetime. How long have you been with the WSO, Trudy? I'm just finishing my ninth year. What brought you to the organization? Well, I'd been actually uh, running the, the folk festival, the Winnipeg Folk Festival, for a decade before I came to the symphony. I'd always loved, I, I'm a music person, so I and I love community music institutions and the way they engage people and the way they're a part of the story of our community and the way they enrich our community and the way they make people connect together and tell stories that sometimes we can't find words to tell. So so I find the music is just such a powerful social social force. And I kind of like the management around it. So when the symphony sort of approached me and said, hey, do you, you know, what would you think about coming over here? I thought, you know, that'd be kind of interesting. 
and it certainly has been. Well, we look at 2011, the, the world of Winnipeg in 2011, the National Hockey League's back in the city. The Royal Winnipeg Ballet may not be doing as, as they may be doing as well as they've ever done. Of course, the WSO was in some serious financial difficulties uh, around the same time that the, the Jets left, uh, you know, in 1996. Do we have to talk about that anymore, about the financial health of the WSO or, or are there still challenges uh, for your organization? There always are. I think uh, I think it's never been easy for orchestras. Never. I think at the time in 1948, when people were giving five dollars to sort of you know create this orchestra, it was not easy. That was a big tough thing for people to do. And even now, it takes the the goodwill and uh, the commitment of a lot of people to just say, look at having an orchestra is important, and having an orchestra at this level, like not having some kind of a, you know. I don't know, six-person band or something, but having a real symphony orchestra in Winnipeg is an important part of identity. And so people make sacrificial gifts. Like we have a lot of donors and, and people who've been longtime subscribers who just say, you know, this is really important to me and we want this here and we're ready to help make it happen. And I must say, if I may say, if I can say something, like in Germany, of course, it, the government funds the symphonies completely. So you don't have that problem. They just do whatever they want, you know, fine. In the States, opposite, no government, you go, 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 you know, private funders, go, go, go. Here, uh, it's this middle thing in between. So um, 20 years ago, we got our last raise in a way from the government, you know, and since then it's flat. And it's a little bit more that, uh, well, Canada or, the, or Manitoba government have to understand, okay, what are we? What do we want? Because, yes, we actually need funding from the government. And that is flat, though. So then we have to dig in more into private sector. But they always think, well, the government, you know, it goes back and forth. So somebody <laughs> has to step up at some point. And it's really important because um, it's every year we are doing our other best, as you know, and it's going really well. But, yeah. And actually the community has. I mean, they've been fabulous. Like when, when we ask and we, the Alexander and I, we do a lot of asking. So if you ever get a phone call where we say, hi, it's Trudy Schroeder. And I, and, and then he says, yep. and, and I, Alexander Mickles <laughs> to wait with her. When it's the two of us calling you. You can be sure that you're going to be double punch, you know. Giving, <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully, your checkbook's nearby. No, you're going to be giving us your credit card number. <laughs> we are speaking with Trudy Schroeder, the executive director of the Winnipeg Symphony Orchestra, and Alexander Micklethwaite, who is the music director. It is the WSO 70th birthday party and community celebration tonight at seven o'clock at the Centennial Concert Hall. Tickets are only $7. Before we pause and have a look at your forecast, we just touched on the fact that it is important to have an orchestra, but I will pose the question in case there's somebody listening to this radio station right now who is thinking it, and I'll put it to you first, Trudy. Why is it important to have an orchestra of this caliber in our community? Should I answer right now? Yes. Yes. You know what? Because it enlivens the community. It actually brings to life. It, for one thing, it brings 67, 70. Actually, we have an artistic staff of 70. It brings 70 people who would not be here who have extremely, extremely fine training, a level of training that you just don't find. So what do those people do once they come here? They form the orchestra, but they also teach in our universities. They teach our individual children. They do solo recitals. They they're in quartets, they join churches, they join, you know, all sorts of community institutions, they raise their families here, they become part of the fabric of the community, but with a sort of a skill set. It's like building a university or a specialized teaching hospital, right? What are you bringing? You're bringing those resources to town. For for what it is, I think it's it's a very, very 
good bargain for, for, for our society, then we become a part of the celebrations of the community. So when you go to the Forks on Canada Day, the orchestra will be there. When we have commemorative events for all kinds of things, the opening of important buildings like the airport, we were there. When it comes to celebration, when it comes to mourning, when it comes to you know enjoying our summer days, when it comes to actually encountering those huge works of art, you know, there is something about it. you can listen to a Beethoven's symphony, you can listen to Beethoven's Ninth Symphony at home, you know, on the radio and while you're doing your dusting or whatever. People always end up doing something else like reading or and something. But encountering it, like actually sitting down and listening to a masterpiece is change making, right? I love to listen to the Foo Fighters on my uh, on my earbuds, but I much prefer to see them in concert. But that's kind of a once in a, a five or six or seven year experience that doesn't have to be this way with a world class orchestra in our community. Why don't we take a pause? We'll come back. We'll talk more about that, and we'll we'll ask about what's next for Alexander Micklethwaite. Is that okay if we ask you, Alex? We we don't sure. want to, you know, kick you out the door <laughs> or anything. Uh, you gave me some good news, and I want to share it. I know uh, when we come back. It's Greg and Brett this afternoon on six eighty CJOB. Alexander Micklethwaite, Trudy Schroeder are in the uh, studio with us. Alexander, you noticed what's not in the forecast? There are no tornadoes. I know in the forecast. You <laughs> noticed that, right? I know. I'm going for mosquitoes to tornadoes. <laughs> <laughs> If you're wondering why we're joking about that, Alexander Micklethwaite is the uh, is the conductor. He is the maestro of the Winnipeg Symphony Orchestra. But as I'm sure you know by now, he will be uh, heading south to the uh, heart of Tornado Alley, Oklahoma City. I'm doing my best to unsell you on this decision, <laughs> Alexander. Uh, but, you know, at Oklahoma City, uh, for those that have never been there, I think a lot of people would have the same ideas as some people that have never been to Winnipeg might have as Oklahoma City. What kind of culture do they have there? It's a very culturally, uh, very cultural city. They are very, very uh, in touch with the well, arts it's very in Oklahoma fun. I mean, city. they have this amazing concert hall, first of all, in the 30s. Like, it's a really beautiful Art Deco, huge building. They Inside, they redid it 10, 20 years ago. Gutted it. It's all beautifully redone. I had no idea, you know, what to expect. Um, they have a ballet company. They have everything there, like beautiful uh, museum, uh, contemporary museum. So it's, yeah, I'm kind of jumping in to new adventure. Um, oh, is it called the Civic Center Music Hall? Yes. I'm just looking at uh, their website right now. It's pretty sharp. Yeah, yeah. it's nice. Good acoustics? It's good acoustics, yeah. They have Very a nice. shell? They have a shell. And they have actually, well, they have oil money in general. It's like, it's fairly, I didn't know. I mean, it's fairly wealthy down there. And um, so I'm hoping to continue that whole, like, trajectory they're on right now. It's like upwards and I guess onwards there. So Well, 14 months we have to uh, to cherish you and to enjoy you and your incredible work. And Trudy, obviously the work to replace Alexander will be a difficult task. Uh, but we've had these iconic type of maestros in the past that you've Managed to to replace in some way. Obviously, otherwise we wouldn't be lamenting the loss of, of Alexander the way we are. Uh, but I asked you off the air: Is there are there any female maestros that might be in the running for this job? You know, there there are there increasingly there are females joining the ranks. It's one of those those types of jobs that for many many years sort of one of the last holdouts. Where actually in major orchestras there were very few. Now there are increasing numbers of women in the ranks. I think 
this generation is still largely male, I would say. But what would you say it is now? There, I'd say there maybe ten percent of the of the of the maestros, and in the sort of in the the twenty and thirty year olds, it's it's coming closer to twenty, twenty five, thirty. Like it, it's taking a while. It's it's um it's one of those jobs that. I don't think there's a particular reason that it's that it's been mostly male. I think that's just kind of one of the hist- you know parts of the history. Orchestras have taken a long time to change. I mean, uh, the Winnipeg Symphony Orchestra had I think six female members when it opened in 1948, and now of the orchestra of uh, almost 70 people, half are women. So so I mean, it, over time you see this kind of change, and certainly in the younger generation, we're, we're seeing lots of great female talents. Alexander, we have two minutes left. What's happening tonight? Oh, yeah, tonight's our big concert, 70th anniversary, 7 bucks, 7 o'clock at the Centennial Concert Hall. First of all, we're looking a little bit ahead. We have, like, um, from our Itzhak Perlman concert coming in September, we're doing um, Tchaikovsky Fourth Symphony, um, the last movement. Then we do the first piece ever performed by the Winnipeg Symphony Orchestra seven years ago, the Wagner Meistersinger Overture. Very German, one of my favorites all time. I'm always, almost, almost crying, like, literally. It's so emotional for me. <laughs> we'll start tonight. And then we have a whole bunch of um, like famous people. We have the Honorable Minister of Natural Resources from Canada, Jim Carr, is going to perform with the Winnipeg Symphony Orchestra, the oboe. Did you know he was playing the oboe? I didn't know he was an oboist. He's a great oboe player. He's actually is very good. Is that an good. oboist? Is that right? <laughs> He's an yes, oboist. Yeah, and 50 good. years ago, he told us today, 50 years ago, for the 100th anniversary of Canada, he actually performed with the Winnipeg Symphony Orchestra. Wow. Huh? Then we have a couple of like um, um, uh, trophy when he was winners. Five. <laughs> when he was five. Yeah. Then several trophy winners. The Aiken Trophy winner from the Winnipeg Fest Music Festival, Rose Ball, Rose Bowl. Um, then some pops acts, Rain Hamilton. And It'll Gail's be- daughter. Gail's daughter. Our concert master's daughter right. was one of those winners. Um, so it will be really a diverse and very exciting program. And you're also encouraging uh, people to show up in vintage uh, 1940s outfits to oh, yeah. celebrate the fact that the last that the first concert was in 1948. Go up to the rafters, you know, dig, dig some <laughs> box or something, <laughs> dusty box, and find some 40s dress or suit or whatever. Okay. Fantastic. Well, it's the WSO 70th birthday party and community celebration tonight, 7 o'clock Centennial Concert Hall. Tickets are only $7. You're not going to find a better deal for any piece of Winnipeg entertainment than that tonight. So Trudy Schroeder, Executive Director of the Winnipeg Symphony Orchestra, Alexander Micklethwaite, Music Director and Maestro for this evening. Thank you so much for joining us today. What a pleasure to have awesome. you in the studio. Thank you, guys. Global News at 3 o'clock is up next. Brett McGarry and Greg Mackling with you on this Wednesday afternoon. Hump day, although I understand some people are getting Fridays, the holiday, as we head into the Canada Day long weekend. Some people getting Friday and Monday. Some people getting Friday or Monday. And let's face it, there are a lot of people that will be getting neither because their jobs uh, just don't allow it. So for all those people who are not getting a holiday this weekend, a tip of the cap to you. Thank you for all that you do. Speaking of caps, how about a baseball cap with a Gold Eyes logo on the front of it? Master of Segways. (laughs) The Winnipeg Gold Eyes will be honoring Ukrainians tonight at the Shaw Park. And we invite you to join us down there. And we're going to have a little bit of help in that endeavor as we welcome to the program. I think this is the very first time on 680 CGOB. You can correct me if I'm wrong. Lenny Baranek joins us. He's president of Food Service Division at Pratt's Food Service. Lenny, thanks and welcome to the Airways of 680 CGOB. 
Hi, Brian. Greg. Thanks, guys. So what's going on at Shaw Park tonight? Why is this such a big deal uh, for your family and for Pratt's Food Service overall to invite folks and celebrate uh, the Ukrainian way of life, so to speak? Ukrainian way of life. It's going to be a great night, a fun night. The temperature is roughly 21 degrees. When it was our full clinic tonight, the clouds will go away, the sun will shine. Uh, we got pro eating contests. We got uh, bands, and uh, we're very proud of Ukrainian culture. And uh, tonight's night to celebrate with the city of Winnipeg and the Gold Eyes. So we're understanding here that uh, there are going to be there's going to be uh, I think a pierogi eating contest. Is that correct? There is a pierogi eating contest. I haven't eaten all day. <laughs> and uh, well, hey, we're going to the ballpark. There's all kinds of good food around there, but uh, for sure the pierogi eating contest is going to be the highlight of the night. Now, Brett was asking when he came in here, Lenny, does a good Ukrainian kid, because I'm sort of only Ukrainian by marriage here. I've got a baba. My grandpa's second wife was Ukrainian, is Ukrainian. So uh, do you say kubasa or do you say kielbasa? Kubasa. Depends on the side of the family you're talking, I guess. It kind of goes both ways. Can't lose either way. Is that fair to say? Yeah, but uh, kubasa is, uh, hey, like I say, tonight, tonight's a night for all, like, all the fun stuff. So, also, I understand that tonight the Gold Eyes Ukrainian celebration is going to kick off in rather raucous fashion with uh, Emma. And you can correct me if I'm saying this wrong. I'm going to go with Zabava Band Budmo. Is that correct? That's right. They're going to be there. And uh, the Husli uh, Ukrainian Male Choir is going to sing a national anthem, which uh, is a treat by itself just to watch them sing. It, uh, it uh, raises the hair on your arms, I tell you. They do a great job. They did the. They performed Hoosley, did the National Anthem at a Jets game this year, and our family was there last year when they performed the Canadian National Anthem, both National Anthems, I believe, last year. And, Lenny, I can't agree with you more. The hair stood up on my arms, and I would suggest that they themselves are worth the price of admission tonight. Spectacular rendition of O Canada. I agree. Hey, Lenny, why was it important for Pratt's Wholesale Food Service to sponsor tonight's festivities at Shaw Park? Uh, Dan Chase came to us about, uh, I think this is the fourth year now. Uh, being the brilliant man he is, uh, theme night, he wanted to do Ukrainian nights. And uh, us being uh, Ukrainian 100% from both sides of the family, uh, we're very proud of our culture and want to share it with the city of Winnipeg. And uh, what a better way to do it that uh, Golize Park in front of everybody in the beautiful venue. I don't want to certainly suggest that uh, Ukrainians are are nicer than anyone else, but I'll tell you just from my own personal experience, a a friend of mine recently uh, married uh, a woman who is actually from Ukraine, and I have been to visit uh, them and their family, her parents, a number of times. And I remember the first time I went to visit them, he took me, uh, her father's name is Walter, he took me around their whole backyard where everywhere in the backyard they were growing something that could be consumed. Like at first glance it just looked like a lot of nice plants. But he's like, no, that's dill, these are grapes, this is something else, here, take it all. And they're the, they were the most hospitable people I think I've ever met. Is that common uh, in the Ukrainian culture to just, hey, every, we're all a big family? We're all a big family. We, uh, we love everybody, and just like everybody else does. And, uh, and like I say, as you grow in your backyard, come to the ballpark tonight, you can get a beer, pierogies, uh, salads, nip, whatever you like. But it's, uh, it's all there for everyone to enjoy. There are three words at my Baba's house that she uses relentlessly, and they are eat, eat, and eat. <laughs> <laughs> I think your mom's the same way, isn't she, Lenny? 
Yeah, you betcha. <laughs> and you know, while we have you on the air here, we should take a moment here to acknowledge uh, what happened on uh, Hutching Street uh, a couple of Fridays ago. Oh, yeah. On uh, June 9th, on Friday, it was a special time for uh, our family. We had, uh, it's my dad's 73rd birthday on June 9th, uh, my parents' 50th anniversary on uh, June 10th, and it was 50 years of my uh, parents at Pratt's. What was special was uh, we had a big uh, Ukrainian band that totally surprised them uh, in our yard. And what they did, the city of Winnipeg and the staff of Pratt's uh, got there in the streets in front of our building named after my parents. And it's now called uh, Leonard and Elaine Baranek Way uh, in honor of them and uh, for what they've done for the city and everything uh, else. all because of our, our staff. I want to thank them very much. And uh, you don't surprise our parents too often that they, uh, they had no idea what was going on. And uh, we're all very private. Lenny, thanks for this. Thanks for everything you do in the community. Uh, on a sidebar, I want to give a shout-out uh, to your colleague, uh, Mark Pockler, who uh, arranged for some support from you folks in an event that I'm heavily involved in last week, Hoops from the Heart, and uh, uh, Pratt's uh, so kindly donated the food for, for that function. So thank you for all that you do in the community. We look forward to seeing you at the ballpark tonight. All right, guys. We'll see you there, and uh, have a great night. All right. Lenny Baranek is president of the Food Service Division for Pratt's Food Service, and we're talking about the fourth annual Ukrainian celebration tonight at the Gold Eyes game at Shaw Park. So once again, it's sponsored by Pratt's Wholesale Food Service, and the celebration will begin with Zabava Band Budmo on the Casinos of Winnipeg stage at 6 o'clock and the chance to polka on the promenade. <laughs> the Hoosley Ukrainian Male Chorus will perform their versions of the Star Spangled Banner and O Canada. The Trianda Ukrainian Dance Ensemble is going to entertain throughout the game. There's going to be a Go Gold Eyes pierogi eating contest courtesy of Mr. Pierogi. There's uh, something called the Kubasa Ring Toss. Not sure what that is, but if it involves Kubasov, I'm you. You have to count me in. Well, maybe you should be coming along tonight, Brett. <laughs> maybe if only I have to stick around here for a little bit. I want to let uh, folks know as well that uh, because of the generosity of the Gold Eyes, uh, part of the ticket funds and uh, revenue tonight will go to the Shevchenko Foundation for Leadership, Stewardship, and Partnership here in the city of Winnipeg. It is 3.15 on 680 CJOB. Up next, we will have a look at traffic and your forecast. Find out if it's going to be a decent night for a ball game. Stand by. Brett McGarry, Greg Mackling. Regarding the Canadian craft beer revolution, we are going to be talking to someone uh, about that from the, uh, the Liquor Mart peoples. When? Soon. In the next, I think they're actually going to do something next week. We were nice. originally supposed to do it today, but I had double booked at 2.30. Because for any astute listeners out there who may have noticed, uh, I think last week I said we got poutine on Wednesday and then craft beer at 2.30. Uh, but then I realized, no, wait. It hit me Sunday night at like 11.50 p.m. as I'm walking down my hallway in my apartment thinking, oh, no, I think I double booked Wednesday. So I had to say, sorry, craft beer, we got to... We had the symphony booked here. We can't kick out Trudy That's and right. Alexander. That's right. An, an important night tonight, the 70th anniversary concert. Seven bucks. And by the way, there are not a lot of tickets left, maybe a couple hundred. So $7, you can't beat that if you're looking for an excuse. 
for a night out tonight to head down to the Centennial Concert Hall. It starts at 7 o'clock. It's the 70th birthday celebration. Alexander Micklethwaite, his energy is infectious, and uh, we are going to miss him in this community. I miss him already, and he's going to be here for another 14 months. Yeah. <laughs> I even told him, I said, just for our purposes alone, just as right. having you in as a guest from time to time on our radio show, uh, he's one of our favorites. I mean, I, I, he's... He's when he's in studio, he was flailing his arms around and his face is so animated. And I think if most people did that, you might think, okay, that's a little weird. But with Alexander, the energy and passion is so real. He's just he's a character, but he's not a caricature. And uh, authentic. Yeah, he just he's got a love for what he does and he is expressive. And that's why he was hired, I'm sure. And it is going to be sad when he goes. But uh as you pointed out, I mean, he is going to a, a nice-looking building in Oklahoma, so good for him. Yeah, no kidding. You uh, did your best to, to unsell him. <laughs> I'm going to keep working on that. You know, we convinced Mike <laughs> Riley once upon a time, the head coach of the Blue Bombers in 1990, accepted a job in U.S. college football, and we convinced him to stay for one more year. I think that might have been in 89, and then he came back and coached them in 90, and they ended up winning the Grey Cup. So uh, you never know. Oh, wow. Stranger things have happened, you know. That's that. Was that the last time they won? Yeah, it was. Oh. We don't need to dwell on that, though, do we? No, we don't. Why don't we shift gears? Let's do. So let's take some people to a happy place. Let's give away some golf. Who wants to go golfing? Four green fees for Pinawa. See what you did there. It's four. They wanted to give you three, but you said, you know what? Makes more sense if we give away four golf passes to P- Pinawa Golf and Country Club. It's a word that is often uttered when I'm golfing. <laughs> uh, the other words cannot be said on the air. Yes. Northeast of Winnipeg is Pinawa. It's about an hour and a half from downtown, maybe just over an hour from the perimeter, so it's not that far. Golf enthusiasts should know this answer rather easily, and I need the real term. Not the other one that is accepted, uh-huh. but for uh, as far as I'm concerned, wrong. It goes par, birdie, eagle, and then what? 204-780-6868. Par, birdie, eagle, then what? 204-780-6868. Something that will never and has never appeared on either of our scorecards. Is that acceptable? Yes. Yeah, <laughs> it never will. Well, I mean, it's it's possible. I suppose. There's, there's really no skill. Like it's it's bordering on like you have to hit a good shot, yes, but for it to happen, but it, has, it requires it's basically luck. But it can't happen on a par three. No, it can only happen on a par five, right? right? So, well, well, I guess no, because if it happened on a par four, then it would be something else, right? I think it can only happen on a par five. Yeah, I believe it can only happen on a par five, but. You should hopefully know the answer, and if you do, 204-780-6868. While Jeff Fortier is fielding that, we will have a look at your forecast in two minutes' time. He's Brett, I'm Greg, and we were asking you to call in to win a round for four at Pinawa Golf and Country Club. Ross McDuff, that's a great golf name. I could see that on a leaderboard somewhere. <laughs> I don't know if you will or not, but I could see it. I could visualize it. It's a great golf name. So congratulations, Ross. You and three friends or enemies or somewhere in between, frenemies perhaps, will be traveling out to uh, Pinawa. you got to get yourself there, but we'll take care of the golf. And the question was, 
Well, why don't you phrase the question? Because I've got an outstanding definition of the answer here, Brett. I wanted to know how what comes after par, birdie, eagle. And I needed the real term, not the one that is accepted in North America, but is, I, I believe, technically incorrect. Uh, it's just sort of one of those things where it's like, okay, yeah, we'll, we can call it that. And the answer is... Albatross. And albatross is the term for three under par and is a continuation of the birdie and eagle theme, but is in fact a British term. This coming from the Scottish Golf History.org website. So I'm going to trust it. And uh, you're right. Most Americans call it a double eagle. Apparently, they have a double eagle club. You have to be invited only, blah, 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 whatever. Three par is, uh, three under par is a very rare score. And an albatross is a very rare bird. That's the name. The exact origin is somewhat unclear. It's believed the first time it was used was actually in India in 1934, but the first albatross score reported as such in the press comes from South Africa, and uh, it was on a par four on the 18th hole of the Durban Country Club. It cost $40, 40 pounds in drinks for the uh, individual E.E. E. Wooler who scored the albatross, because when you get a, a hole-in-one, you, you know you have to buy drinks, right? People don't realize. Really? You have to buy a round of drinks in the clubhouse for everyone in the clubhouse. Oh, why are you buying the drinks? That's that's the that's how it works. That's a stupid rule. It's a great rule. People because should be I will bowing never, to you. I'll never get a hole in one. I hit <laughs> the flag on seven at uh, Falcon Lake off the tee uh, three summers ago. I figure that's as close as I'm going to get. But if someone pointed out, well, you know, you can get a, a that'd be a hole in a hole in one. Yeah. On a, uh, on, a, on a on a on a four, but that would also be called an ace. So would the ace? Outrule the albatross? Would you call it an A slash albatross? Would it be an AA? You know, I don't know. <laughs> I, I, you know, I much more common on on a par five, I imagine. Yeah, I mean, it re, it happened recently on the PGA Tour. I can't remember which tournament. I think it may have been, it might have been the players uh, where somebody had got had hold out from like well over two hundred yards away. Um, so it was just sort of a, a rare thing, and all the announcers were calling it double eagle. Why can't you just call it what it is? It's an albatross. Yeah, Americans and their own words for stuff. Yeah. Interesting things you can take on a plane. Ooh. Not not take on a plane. School's almost out for all the kiddies, which means summer vacations are on the horizon. There's a chance you'll be planning on boarding a plane. With that in mind, Global News reporter Christian O'Mell has a list of some items that you may not have known that you can take. On the plane. Snakes, by the way, not on the list. Just a note before we get started. These are all items you're allowed to take if you're flying within Canada. Once you go international, things get a little fuzzy. Now, passing time on an airplane can be tedious. If you're not watching a movie or napping, you might end up twiddling your thumbs for hours. One thing you could do is knit. Yes, knitting needles and crochet hooks made of any type of material, whether it's wood or aluminum, are allowed in your carry-on. Maybe you can knit a blanket if you're too cold. What about it? It's gone. Don't worry about it. What do you mean, don't worry about it? What am I supposed to do if I have to bail out? Use my handkerchief! Let's say you're a super nervous flyer. Heights make you very anxious. If you're afraid the plane is going to go down, you can make sure you're prepared with a parachute. You have to check with the Canadian Airport Transport Authority, or CATSA for short, first to make sure certain conditions are met. 
And it might take up your entire carry-on, but who'll be laughing when you're parachuting to safety somewhere over Saskatchewan? It's January, and you've always wanted to skate on the Rideau Canal in Ottawa, but you don't want to bring a whole suitcase. That costs money. So where are you going to put your skates? Well, in your carry-on. They're sharp, but permitted, as are pucks, gloves, and helmets. Sticks, though, you'll have to check at the gate. It's extra handy if your flight gets grounded in the Arctic. Speaking of ice, dry ice is allowed on the plane in some circumstances. Quantities must not exceed 2.5 kilograms per person. The package must permit the release of carbon dioxide gas, blah, 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 in case you were wondering. That creep can roll, man. Yeah, but he's a pervert, dude. Yeah. No, he's a sex offender with a record. He did six months of Chino for exposing himself to an eight-year-old. Got a big bowling tournament on the other side of the country? That's no problem. Bring your little friend on board and have a ball. Now, as tempting as it might be to line up annoying passengers in the aisle and try to bowl a strike, that's generally frowned upon. Yes, whips are allowed. Whips? Really? Whips are allowed? Let me check. Yeah, nope. Okay. I'm sure it would be wonderful and awfully tempting to keep seat kickers in check with that whip, but probably not the best idea. Katza recommends checking with your air carrier to make sure certain conditions are met first. I said whip it. Licorice whip. For you, I have this beautiful, super duper incredible uh, snow globe. Uh, Bogob? Let's say you're traveling out east for family Christmas and you want to bring a little knick-knack with you. A snow globe. It's okay on a plane as long as it fits in a closed and resealable bag less than a liter in size. Honestly, I'd be terrified to bring it out of nothing more than fear it will get smashed along the way. At least if it's in a sealed bag, it won't get all over your whip and bowling ball. I'll tell you why I can't find you. Every time I go out to your place, you gone fishing. You've probably noticed a somewhat sportsy trend with a lot of these items. But wait, there's more. If you're going on a fishing trip, those rods and poles can join you in cabin. You're not supposed to have a hook on the rod, but if it's smaller than six centimeters, then I might let it slide. If it's bigger than that, though, you're going to have to check it. Some other items you can bring include disposable personal lighters because you're not actually allowed to check those. Cremated remains, which have to go through an x-ray first along with some other special procedures. Skateboards, though you're not allowed to burl up and down the aisle. And breast milk, whether you're bringing your kid or not. Has to be screened first, but yeah, it's cool. So there you have it, an eclectic mix of things you probably will never end up bringing on a plane. My only advice for you, carry-on-wise, if you're bringing a bag of chips, a big one, open it a little bit first. I made that mistake once and it popped with a loud bang at 30,000 feet. Got a lot of funny looks, but chips were tasty. Christian O'Mell. Global News. Carry on, my wayward son. Thank you, Christian. That was fantastic. Wonder what kind of chips he brought on that that popped like that. I better not have been creamy dill. <laughs> Is that what's out there right now in the newsroom? <laughs> I don't know whatever's out, what's out there right now, but the creamy dill you guys can keep to yourself. Just open those when I'm not around, okay? What's wrong with the creamy dill? Thanks. You're not a fan of the dill pickle? Anything? Nope. No, dill pickle chick chips, not my thing. Oh, dill pickle <laughs> chips? No. Uh, is it? Yeah, it's ketchup chips. Pardon me, and dill pickle dip. What is good combined? I, yes, that was my reaction too. I thought that's kind of weird, and then I tried it, and it was very good. Okay, you can keep that one to yourself, though, McGarry. <laughs> I will not be over your shoulder picking out of the bag and scooping the dip on that one. Well, All I yours. guess I guess you already know that you don't like dill pickle, so it doesn't matter. Uh, yeah, three forty-seven. We're going to have a look at traffic and weather.
And then we'll hear from Richard and Julie to tell us what's coming up on the news. Bull in a china shop just walked in here. Bull by the name of Richard Kluche. What's you okay, Kluch? Doing just fine. All Sometimes right. uh, Kluch is a little klutzy. <laughs> the equilibrium off a little bit there. Too much poutine this afternoon. Oh, man. You guys have outdone yourselves again. <laughs> Holy. Did you try some? Had a couple of bites. Oh, good for you. Yeah. I'm going to spin class tonight. <laughs> You're always ribbing me about that. <laughs> you know, you I need what? to go. I really need to go now. Yeah, well, hey, at least you tried it, you know. Sometimes you got to allow yourself those treats. So. Oh, absolutely. Good That's good you. stuff. Great story, by the way, earlier today uh, with that. And, uh, you know, the Winnipeg success story of Skip the Dishes. They are absolutely everywhere. But to me, the next step would be, to, instead of them being taken over by another firm, that the Winnipeg-based firm takes over others. And uh, we have a story in the news coming up about uh, the National Research Council. Again, our tax dollars at work, but they have formally announced that they have this location on Inkster Park, and it's going to be a facility that works with local businesses as well to develop robotics and other advanced manufacturing. And you'll recall this was the subject of a... Um, and bleeping contest between the provincial <laughs> government and the federal government. And so today the federal government saying, yes, this is a $60 million facility and we're going forward with that construction still probably a year away with an opening of two and a half years from now. It was one of those things I'm not saying this is in jeopardy, but this may be in jeopardy if you don't do a couple of things that we'd like you to do. So it's nice to see that the politicalization of that project is going by the wayside. More big changes announced today in the healthcare system. And this is kind of behind um, the base, you know, behind the, the, in the dugout of the baseball game, if you will. But a lot of behind the scene changes. And you'll be familiar with the, with the name Dr. Brock Wright with the Winnipeg Regional Health Authority. He's been there for a generation. Well, he's moving to a new organization being created by this government that will take over a lot of what rural rural health authorities do right now. So they're centralizing more services. So ultimately, the question for Brock Wright, who joins us after the 4 o'clock news, is how is this going to uh, help in the wait for medicine, for diagnostics, for in the emergency room, etc.? But uh, Gertzen, going forward with um, more recommendations that were done by uh, this Dr. Peachy for the previous government. So this is a reorganization of healthcare in Manitoba. But having read that report, it takes us into the next direction of finding more efficiencies within the system. Richard Cloutier, thank you so much for joining us. Richard Cloutier and Julie Buckingham have the news from 4 until 7 on 680 CJOB. And thank you very much. Greg Mackling, thank you. Jeff Forte, thank you. Skip the dishes and smoked poutinery for bringing us a whole bunch of poutine today. We appreciate that. And thanks to our friends at the Winnipeg Symphony Orchestra for paying us a visit tonight. Their 70th birthday party tonight at the concert hall, 7 o'clock, 7 bucks. See you at the Blue, uh, Blue Jays at the Gold Eyes game tonight. If you're around and you, you see me, say hi. I'll be saying hi to you. Thanks for listening to Mackling and McGarry on 680 CJOB. Canada may be known for its landscapes and friendly people, but beneath the surface lies a darker side of crime, history, and the paranormal. Since 2017, the award-winning Dark Poutine podcast has explored the shadowy corners of the Great White North and beyond, delivering chilling tales from a uniquely Canadian perspective. 
Hosted by Mike Brown and Matthew Stockton with over 300 episodes and fresh releases every Monday, Dark Poutine is your weekly ticket to the creepier side of Canada. Listen to Dark Poutine on Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts.